Hello, hello all. Welcome. It is Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and we're going to have a very interesting conversation this evening, aren't we? Yes. So <clears throat> I just want to give a preface to this because I'm in a little bit embarrassed that this is something that only got on my radar back in April when I when I noticed some headlines that just looked very suspicious to me. And so I started digging and investigating and researching and it, all things led me to hear with that this is um, a political movement and I want people to understand that it is not in any way a criminal enterprise and that these are people that are being uh, wrongfully targeted for a variety of political reasons. And so I wanna, and I'm noticing that I'm still dragging. So I'm gonna go out, bring them in. I'm gonna go out and come back in on my phone because it's just better, okay? Okay, fair enough. Uh, so you want to do that and I'll get things uh, rolling here? I'll be so right back. I will be right back. Okay. So, yes. Uh, so now I'm all by myself. And so this evening we are going to have a wonderful group of ladies who will be explaining exactly what this is all about. Uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to botch uh, the actual name. It's the uh, African... African People's Socialist Party, I'm pretty sure is the name. Is that what it's called? African People's Socialist Party? Yes. Hi, I'm back. I'm sorry about that, people. It's just I'm in the mountains, so it's just easier on my phone. Yes, we are going. We are being joined by two members of the African People's Socialist Party. It's um, Jesse Neville and Penny Hess. And these were two of the people that were um, brought in, arrested, have been harassed. And, and I don't want to get too far into that because I sort of have an idea in my mind the best way to lay this out because it was new to me. So I have to assume it's new to a lot of other people. So, yes, these are two members of the African People's Socialist Party. Well, I'm sure that's going to throw up a bunch of red flags for our channel, but not like we already don't have enough of them. So, hey, why not? Let's just add them. Keep them going. Patty Hess, Jesse Neville, welcome to Generational Change. Thank you for having us on. Thank you so much. Um, before we get started, I just want to put this out there before any haters come on and start hating on me. The only reason that I didn't invite the chairman the only reason is because we are small potatoes. I really thought that there was no way. And the only reason I figured you two was because we're in Florida and there was this St. Petersburg connection. So I thought, OK, well, maybe we have a chance. I was very, very pleased that you agreed to come on. But I don't want anybody to think we excluded him for any reason other than I just didn't think we would get on the radar. Great. Well, really appreciate it and really appreciate the, the ability to come on your show and, and appreciate you, you inviting us. And I just want to make one thing clear, though, that Jesse and I are members of the African People's Solidarity Committee because okay. the African People's Socialist Party is a black organization okay. and we work under their leadership by organizing in the white community for reparations to African people. And just to make it clear, Chairman O'Malley Ishitala has led the African People's Socialist Party since it was formed in 1972. So, you know, the, he has struggled, and he was a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the 1960s. See, this is where I was going to start. This is what I wanted okay. to do before. Oh, yeah. 
this is because this is like the rabbit hole that I went down learning about your organization. So yes. I think that the first of all, the best thing to do is talk about the the organization, um, your component of it, but also and maybe explain this better to me, the intersection between Uhuru. Is that right? Did I say that right? Uhuru? Yes, you did. That okay. means freedom, freedom and Swahili. Okay. So yeah. that movement. Is it just an inner, I want to just understand how it intersects with the African People's Socialist Party. Well, the, and I just also want to introduce my comrade, Jesse Neville here, who is uh, also um, indicted and you know, just for, for fighting for reparations to African people. And that, that's what I've done for the last 46 years. And, you know, worked in the white community to organize for genuine solidarity with the right of African people to be free. And let me just say, and for reparations to African people, and let me just say that the African People's Socialist Party is all around the world because it, it believes that, um, but rightly so, that Africa must belong to African people. And African people in this country and in this hemisphere are Africans who were stolen and kidnapped from Africa to be brought here to, uh, to, to be enslaved and there's stolen labor and there's stolen resources and that live under a condition of colonialism inside this country or wherever they have been forcibly dispersed around the world. They formed a white solidarity committee all the way back in 1976. And, um, and we work in the white communities. Uh, Jesse can talk a little bit more about that as well, but we organize in the white community for reparations and actually raise reparations for programs of the African People's Socialist Party. The Uhuru movement is sort of the whole umbrella of the movement, and that includes okay. the African National Women's Organization, the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, the Burning Spear newspaper, all the institutions, the Black Power Blueprint, I mean, it's so multifaceted. That so so Uhuru is, is essentially the concept of Africans in the diaspora and this unification of Africans that are in the diaspora from how they've been treated. Well, no, it's really Africans everywhere on the yeah. continent. It also organizes in Africa. Okay, okay. And it has organizations in Africa and you know, in the Caribbean, you know, relationships with Africans in Brazil and and in throughout the United States and, and even in Paris, in France, where these struggles were just going on with that uh, police murder and all the uprisings there, you know, so, yeah, so it's really based internationally, but African people everywhere that have the right, because Africa is not controlled by African people, it's still controlled by the U.S. and European economy. Yeah. That uh, that it still is is a form of neo-colonialism that extracts all the resources. So, yeah. Okay. So, Jesse, let me ask you to answer this because this is one of the things that when Peter mentioned, oh, we're going to get flagged. First of all, just using the word socialist and anything, you know, people get all, ooh, you know, like all kind of weirded out. But talk about the movement and what it's really about, because everything that I dug into was as nonviolent, anti-war, anti-colonialism. It's, it does not in any way seem to be a threatening organization. Um, so would you talk about that? Like, and, how, and, and maybe talk about it in, in perspective of how you got involved in it. 
Sure. Well, uh, thank you so much again for, for having us on to talk about this very, very important case of this brutal attack that the U.S. government has made against the African People's Socialist Party and especially against its founder and leader, Chairman Omalia Chantella. And I, I just want to appreciate the opportunity to be on this program with Penny Hess, the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, uh, who I had the honor to meet along with meeting the chairman about 13 years ago when I was living in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I attended an event where the chairman was actually being interviewed about his life's work. And what I learned at that event is that he had actually been an active leader in the struggle of African people for freedom and power over their own lives going back to the 1960s. Uh, he was actually the leader of the St. Petersburg, Florida chapter of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the 1960s. And he was jailed for a courageous act of civil disobedience where he went into the St. Petersburg, Florida City Hall and tore down a racist, horrific mural that used to hang in City Hall that depicted African people as monstrous caricatures. He tore that mural down, marched through the streets, and was jailed for almost three years for doing that. And when he emerged from prison, he formed an organization called the Junta of Militant Organizations, which was active throughout the entire U.S. South, all throughout Florida, throughout Kentucky, during the Black Power Movement of the 1960s. And in the early 70s, that organization merged with two other organizations to found the African People's Socialist Party. And Chairman Omalia Chatella's mission from day one in forming the African People's Socialist Party was to complete the Black Revolution of the 1960s. And he made the extremely important summation and, and observation that what happened in the 1960s, it wasn't that black power and black freedom went out of style and it wasn't that it had been accomplished and therefore wasn't relevant anymore. It had been militarily destroyed. And he has worked every single day of his life since then to rebuild a revolutionary movement of the African working class that is, as you said, anti-colonial, anti the colonial oppression that African people face in the US and around the world. And for that reason, it actually does represent the ultimate threat to this social system and the entire colonial mode of production because it's fighting to build power in the hands of the African working class and a system that's built on the oppression of African people and slavery and genocide is not compatible with African people being free and having political and economic power over their own lives. And that's why the chairman is coming under attack now. Okay, so this is a good segue. Okay, so that's like a good backdrop like to the organization. Um, and, and you were speaking that you were actively pursuing um, reparations. That's something we've talked about a lot. It's something that's important to me. Um, so I appreciate that, but we don't need to get into that because that we talk about plenty but so let's forward to like july i think it was july of 22 yep. um, okay so i and, and i and i'm embarrassed that i did not know about this then like i i feel like remorseful mm -hmm. about that but i but i am I'm catching up as best i can um so whoever is best suited to talk about what went down in july of 22 because that's like the precursor to where we are yeah, I, I mean, I think that 
that that is really important. And, you know, I just want to say, first of all, that Chairman O'Malley should tell uh, Jesse and myself are guilty of nothing, <laughs> no, nothing that they describe as a crime or anything else at all, ever, you know, so that it, it's just outrageous. But before I answer your question, it's really important that the history of this country, you know, the the, the assassination and the, the involvement of the FBI, CIA, and other agencies that assassinated Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Fred Hampton, and so many others, including African political prisoners who are, who are still in prison today from the 1960s for standing up, not against racism, but for power, for power over their lives. And that is the question, but this is the human rights Right. That, you know, we see the conditions that 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 black people or African people inside this country and everywhere around the world face. You know, it's like we have to look at this reality. Africa is wealthy, but African people are the most impoverished in the world. So that's yeah. what this, this movement is about. And it's saying that white people can support that. So I just want to say that. But on, on July 29th of 2022, Seven properties connected with the Uhuru movement, some in St. Petersburg, Florida, and some here in St. Louis, where Jesse and I are, were raided all at the same time, 6 a.m. On the, on, on the East Coast, and we're in Central Time, 5 a.m. here, coming to my house that I share with another, another comrade, Chairman O'Malley Ishitella and his wife, uh, Ona Zene Ishitella's home in North St. Louis, the most impoverished area of St. Louis, where they do the work. You know, they build programs, doula training programs, which were going on that day, basketball court, they built, you know, just all the work that they are building for political and economic power in the hands. So that um, the Uhuru Solidarity Center, which is a building owned by the African People's Socialist Party, but we operated in South St. Louis in the white community and organized there. And it has a big banner that says Unity Through Reparations right in a very busy street here in South St. Louis. And then Jesse and, and uh, Comrade Amanda's apartment was also raided here. And then in St. Petersburg, was the the Uhuru House, which had been there since 19 early 1990s, in the center of St. Petersburg, in the center of the African community, as well as the other another house owned by Chairman O'Malley Shatella and another owned by uh, another comrade Akile Anai, who's a member of the African People's Socialist Party. So all this happened at the same time. They came with assault rifles. They broke down, where I live, they broke down the door. Um, they broke down the frame of the door. So, you know, it couldn't, uh, you couldn't leave because of this. They took the chairman uh, and deputy chair down the stairs with the laser sightings on, on their chests. You know, and of course, knowing full well what this government had done to Fred Hampton and, and to so many others, you know, thinking that this this was it. They sent drones into the house, flashbang grenades into the houses, 
as well as into the Solidarity Center coming in. I mean, it was a full raid and they were they were doing this. They were there with many armored vehicles and everything in front of all the places for six hours in every place, going through everything in your house, taking your computers, your phones, all your devices, uh, which we've never gotten back, of course. And, um, you know, and just, and then when, and we weren't able to talk to each other because they jammed the phones or took our phones. And, and then, but then Kitty, who I, you know, who also lives here, got a text saying, <laughs> ask them if we're under arrest. So Chairman O'Malley should tell at a certain point was like, are we under arrest? Because they, they were handcuffed. And they were like, oh, no, you're not. You're not under Jesse, arrest. What was your experience that day? Because it, it went down all simultaneously. And I'm assuming yeah. everybody is not out <laughs> and about and moving at six o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. Ad admittedly, I was asleep. Um, I know uh, Chairman O'Malley and, and uh, Deputy Chair Ona Zane, his wife, they were awake. Uh, and <clears throat> this is related. Um, that morning, that very morning that the raids happened, Deputy Chair Ona Zane Shatella was preparing to go to the Uhuru House in North St. Louis to preside over a doula training. This is one of the programs that the Uhuru Movement has created in the north side of St. Louis to uplift and empower the African working class community and specifically to address the just genocidal rates of infant and maternal mortality faced by African women and mothers. And uh, so that's that's what she was planning to do. I was planning to be there as well to assist with some, um, you know, audiovisual stuff for that incredible event that was happening. Uh, and then, yeah, at that five o'clock, uh, 5 a.m., the a uh, voice on the loudspeaker began blaring, saying, this is the FBI, come out with your hands up and nothing in your hands. Uh, we, we heard all of these flashbang grenades going off, uh, and it was all of this, these noises all at once. So it was the loudspeaker, it was the flashbang grenades, and then it was the battering ram coming through the door. And we live in the apartment above the Uhuru Solidarity Center. So we walked down the stairs, and there's this battering ram protruding up the stairs, and uh, and then yeah, they they handcuffed us and and proceeded to raid the apartment and the Uhuru Solidarity Center for six and a half hours. And of course, the minute this happened, we knew that this was happening to Chairman Omali Fatella and and to members of the African People's Socialist Party, and understood that every gun pointed at us and every flashbang grenade thrown in our direction was being pointed at and thrown in the direction of Chairman Amalia Shatella for leading this movement for over 50 years and for fighting for liberation for African people and also for doing something that the US government does not want to see happen, which is fracture the unity of the white population with our own government by organizing those of us in the white community to turn our backs on our own government and our own ruling class and unite with the African liberation struggle. So it's really significant that whereas in the 1960s, the US government was able to isolate the black liberation movement and white people by and large, you know, did not have any kind of organized stand in solidarity with African people at that time when the assassinations were happening and the assaults were happening against leaders of the African liberation movement, 
because of this strategy that the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman Amal Tell have created to extend the Black liberation movement into the white community, it was really significant that at the same time that they had to go into the impoverished African working class north side of St. Louis to attack the African revolution, they also had to come into the white community. They had to go to the Uhuru Solidarity Center and raid this building as well. And that's, that's a testament to the significance of this strategy that the Uhuru movement has created, which by the way, I just wanna quickly mention, obviously one of the things that the US government was intending to do by attacking a building with a big banner that says unity through reparations was scare white people away from wanting to take that position and wanting to side with the African freedom struggle and fight for reparations. But it has had the opposite effect. More white people, somebody just became a member of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement because they drive by our building every day on their way to work and they see that banner. More and more white people are joining. The movement is growing and building and getting stronger. And people are coming in, not uh, in spite of the attacks by the FBI, but because of them, because they want to stand with the African liberation movement and push back against these very dangerous attacks on the right of African people to have freedom of speech and organize for their liberation. All right, but let's, let's, we know the real reason why, why they want to silence you. Like, I understand that to me, it's clear as day, but let's just talk a little bit, whichever, whichever one of you as to the pretext for this, that involves some sort of nonsense of Russian collusion and just whatever. I know there, they have a few links that they've made with this, but it's obviously pretext. So who explains that better, th that that's what they're saying is what they're doing for, to you guys? Well, the, the, the Russian connection has actually been used many times. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois, who was, uh, you know, a <laughs> well-known black liberation uh, leader of the 19. 30s and 40s was charged with almost the same, very similar charges to what Chairman O'Malley Chatello was charged with. And, um, and Paul Robeson of that period. And, and it's interesting that, you know, they had, both of them had been involved in bringing to the United Nations a brief called We Charge Genocide based on the newly passed genocide um, crime, you know, United Nations uh, convention that was, I think, signed in 1948. And this was the 1950s when they brought this to the United Nations. They were, their passports were taken away as has Chairman O'Malley Shatella and ours. And, um, you know, they had very, very, very similar charges. And I think that it's also, you know, very, um, very much being, used and discussed right now the, just the, the the things that they used against us is statute 18 USC um, section 371 which is conspiring to commit an offense against the United States and to act as a foreign as the agent of a foreign government and foreign officials to wit the Russian Federation and officials, of that government without prior notification to the attorney general as required by law in violation of 18 U.S.C. 951A. I mean, you know, this is not FARA. This is, this is another 
some another law, whatever, but very similar. But you know, it's th- this whole weaponization of the FBI and and you know just the the attack on the freedom of speech and the right of African people to express how they see the world and what their aspirations are to be free and liberated and have reparations is, uh, you know, it's absolutely criminal that that that, that is happening and continuing um, just as COINTELPRO by the FBI, which actually included the FBI, the CIA, the um, department, you know, the NSA and, and the IRS was all part of COINTELPRO in the 1960s. So this is, you know, we're seeing this continuation of the attacks that have always come down against African people who are saying, you know, we want to be free, we want to be liberated. And that is, you know, that is ongoing. That is an ongoing struggle that is going to is going to materialize it's in the struggle to to come to fruition. African people have a right to be free. And it's just we saw it in 2020 with um, the rising up after the murder of George Floyd and here in St. Louis after the police murder of Mike Brown and so many other, you know, it's just, it's, it's just um, a powder keg that is there and the conditions are worse and worse every day. And, and the African People's Socialist Party is growing and expanding around the world. And, and I do want to say also that the, the, the African People's Socialist Party created the um, Hands Off Uhuru, Hands Off Africa defense campaign, which is actually expanding. But I, w- I just want to say the outpouring of support um, in expression of support, in solidarity from organizations, individuals, and the resources, you know, we have been, because it's very expensive, of course, to hire lawyers, even lawyers who are take some money off of what they charge, you know, the, and this campaign is, has raised over $220,000 um, just from just from donations from individuals and people. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's very powerful. It's really, really exciting and moving to see this, this solidarity with the African liberation movement and the right of African people to be free from all kinds of people. And to also see that since last year, the um, and, and the attacks on, on the party, uh, we see Stop Cop City, you know, just the incredible attacks on them, the Tampa Five in, in Tampa, and, and so many other expressions of, you know, just, just more and more, um, FBI and and other kinds of government attacks against people fighting for everything from national liberation to freedom of speech and and anti-war movement. And just to add one thing to that, um, this law that the Department of Justice so-called dusted off to use against Chairman Amaj Tella and the Uhuru movement, it's this obscure law that seldom even gets used. Uh, that Penny mentioned, 18 U.S. Code Section 951. And it actually is a companion to the Espionage Act. And Mm -hmm. it it, it came out of the Espionage Act. And in fact, the Department of Justice has referred to this law as espionage light. 
So that just helps to highlight the absurdity of these charges that they are essentially alleging that Chairman Omalia Shatella, who's an African freedom fighter for over 60 years of his life, is actually a super secret Russian spy uh, operating at the behest of the Russian government. And in addition to being untrue and absurd, it, it's also obscenely offensive and, and even racist, you know, based on a, on a kind of racist uh, assumption that the, the U.S. government and the Biden administration in particular is peddling, which is that African people have no agency, that they, they need somebody else, presumably a white person, to come in and tell them, hey, you should fight for reparations. Hey, you should uh, charge the United States with the crime of genocide. African people don't need anyone to tell them that they're being oppressed and that they have the right to fight for their liberation. And certainly Chairman Omalia Shatella, who again, at, at 81 years old, has never taken a minute's break from fighting for the liberation of African and oppressed peoples, doesn't need to be told by anyone uh, about anything having to do with the fight for freedom for his for his people. So it's, mm-hmm. it's absurd, it's false, and it's also a racist insult that yeah, really insulting. should all be disgusted mm-hmm. by. Speaking with Penny Hess and Jesse Neville, the African People's Solidarity Movement, you know, we cannot ignore the realities of what transpired in the summer of 2016 where the whole Russia gate hoax uh, was uh, perpetuated on what to me was just the working class. That's all it was. Uh, we're not willing to get in line with, uh, you know, the neoliberal world order, if you will, that has been espoused by both major political parties. And of course, right now there is a growing movement within the, the democratic party faction and outside the party, not more than ever, especially with Dr. Cornell West running for president on the green party ticket. Do you see the attacks that have been levied at you guys in particular as just a means of trying to keep people in line? Because there's a great appeal to get away from the two-party infrastructure that does not serve working people. Hence why so many people are turning to different political ideologies like socialism and ultimately where things stand right now with your current case. Well, I would, you know, I think that that it's really... um, I think it's really important to see that the the African liberation movement, the black liberation movement, black power movement of the 60s, this is the vanguard of the movements for social justice. This is in the front lines and this is coming under under attack very seriously. And um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the this is an attack that they use this as a vulnerable place to to attack everything else that that's out there that's you know that that we're beginning to see right now happening so i yeah i think that i think this is this is correct this is the center yeah. of the attack this is where they start right and i think it's interesting just seeing an article that was in the New York Times a couple of days ago when they were talking about the, uh, um, the which thing oh, I forgot which thing the surveillance the the thing that was coming before uh, Congress uh, on that and even this right wing guy who's talking about January sixth but he's also talking about you know the Black Liberation Movement or, or Black Lives Matter you know he's also he's saying both 
both spectrums of that. And I think that, um, you know, but I think that the, the African movement on the one hand is what fueled um, the women's movement. You know, all of this was called the women's liberation, LGBTQ liberation movement originally in, in the 1960s and 1970s. And, you know, it was, it was this movement that of, of the, of the black community for civil rights and then for black power, which overturned the McCarthy era of the 1950s and opened the door to, you know, just, just this incredible um, movement of the 1960s. And it came under that movement because the US government targeted also the black liberation movement as the center, as the main target for, for COINTELPRO. And I think that, um, you know, we're seeing that again. And we, you know, and this is, this is what they do. They're going at the head of it. And that's why, you know, just all of this, the support and coming together with other groups and, and individuals who are coming under attack, you know, around, just sort of revolving around the hands off of Huru is, is very critical. And it's the way that this is going to be overturned and fought back. We're very confident that this is going to win. Definitely. <clears throat> and so what, uh, how can people get involved with your organization? You know, what you're currently working on? I mean, cause to me, this is just one of those things where uh, we see this all the time and, you know, especially left independent media spaces, people get way too caught up uh, with the sexy story of the day and the clicks and things like that. Uh, I get really tired of any of that nonsense. We need to be focusing on tangible things that can really make a difference. It is the uniting of the working class that we are trying to do. And all of these things come into focus, whether it is workers' rights, racial justice, social justice, economic justice, it's all unified. And what you guys are attempting to do is obviously scary to the establishment to the point in which they feel that they have to basically bring the Gestapo against you, if you will. Because there's no other way, because they know that the people are growing restless. When the people grow restless, enforcing a police state, which seems to be the order of the day, just becomes more and more crystal clear. Obviously, your case is a prime example of that. But we do need to figure out a way to unify more effectively, especially amongst the working class. So how can people get involved with the work that you guys are currently doing? Well, I think that, you know, they can they can certainly go to handsoffuhuru.org and also uhurusolidarity.org for people in the white community. But I do also want to just say that, you know, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about reparations is there are two Americas. And there's certainly completely different and every aspect of life, completely different conditions that African people, indigenous people, you know, many Mexican people face versus generally what white people face, you know, both economically, politically, and, and basically in every aspect of life. And that's why, you know, this understanding that this country is built as Chairman O'Malley Chatella says, on slavery and genocide of the indigenous people. And without that, there wouldn't be an America. There wouldn't be any white working class. There wouldn't be anything else. You know, there wouldn't, this wouldn't exist. It's not a sideline thing. It's the essential thing. And, and I think that that's, that's the message that 
we want to take from the Uhuru Solidarity Movement that we have to look at, at the world as it really is, and that these two Americas, the colonizer and the colonized, I mean, this is what we see. And African people live under the gun, live under what we would call fascism, a colonial existence, and the police and, and, and the massive imprisonment and everything else that um, the poverty that people face in the African community and indigenous people forced onto reservations, this is colonialism inside our country. And what Chairman O'Malley should tell us the colonial mode of production. This is how this is how it works. This is how this whole system works. So I think um, you know that's that's the message that we want to give. And white working people, white people who are not wealthy have an interest in standing on the side under in, in genuine solidarity with the liberation of African and indigenous people. And this is still the indigenous people's land. You know, uh, we just saw, um, what was it? The, the, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that they wouldn't put clean water into the Navajo, the Diné Nation um, reservation, which is huge. And um, they're not gonna. They're not gonna have any. They have no responsibility to put. Make sure that clean water goes there, and that affects 177,000 indigenous DNA people. You know, this is this is the world that we live in. This is the reality. And even when we talk about the working class, the the genuine working class is the African working class. You know, and that that's the message we have, and that's why we owe reparations. This country was built on stolen labor and stolen land. And, you know, we say, you know, turn it back over. It belongs to, it belongs to African and indigenous people. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about reparations for a long time, it seems like, because for me, it's just this sort of karmic thing wherein we're not going to go anywhere until we handle what we've done before. Like, yes. and, and the concept of paying debts that are owed is just this very basic premise mm -hmm. that I just don't understand why people don't understand that. Like that's, it's, it's extremely basic. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think it's one of the major things that's holding us up in all different intersections and parts of what we do is that. And so I agree, I think it's very important. And there aren't that many people in our line of work that put that on the forefront. Um, and certainly I think, uh, you know, we need to see more and, you know, it's something we did, but it wasn't, it wasn't standard. I, I mean, I really appreciate you raising that Jan and, and Peter, I appreciate you, both of you, you know, for having us on. And I don't know where, are you near St. Louis? Because you should come here and see the incredible work of, you know, I, no, we're in South Florida. And the oh. reason that this got connect that I just knew of this St. Petersburg connection, which sort of made it feel like, oh, it's a, this just happened in Florida. That was how it originally came on my radar. Um, but no, I've never been to St. Louis and I would like to go to St. Louis at some point. Oh, I very much like what you guys are doing and what you're about. And I, I like all of that, but I'm of the kind of person and people know this, that my attitude is basically like, we just need to do things so that people can be happy in this world. It's just not that complicated and let the people decide what they need and what they want. Like I I'm just, I'm open to whatever it is that people want that will make their lives better. 
that's it. Like, and I'm open to all reasonable discussions in that regard. So yes, that includes reparations. It includes a lot of things, but um, I am of the opinion that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I know a lot of people have trouble with that concept. It's very hard for them. So I can simultaneously support reparations and prioritize universal health care. Um, those things can coexist. Um, I would actually argue that universal health care would also help a lot of the people that are deserving of reparations, but I digress. Thank you guys so much for, for sharing your story. Um, Jesse, any final thoughts on what you guys are up to? Well, thank you again, both of you. This has been great and just always, always um, great to be able to talk about these things. And I think um, I would just end by reiterating the call that Penny made for people to go to handsoffuhuru.org and also check out uhurusolidarity.org and get involved. Build the Uhuru Solidarity Movement where you are. Build the movement for reparations to African people and build the movement to defend the right of African people to freedom of speech and assembly and the right to organize for their liberation. And as uh, Chairwoman Penny so eloquently stated earlier, this is the vanguard of all movements that are fighting against injustice and oppression. And we have a responsibility and an interest to get behind it fully and to see it as our future and the future of all life on the planet Earth, which there is not going to be a future if this system is not overturned and if the colonial mode of production is not done away with. And the only way that can happen is when African, indigenous and colonized and oppressed peoples are free and have self-determination and power over their lives. And that's what the African People's Socialist Party represents. And that's what we have the honor and profound opportunity, life-changing, life-affirming opportunity to be a part of when we take the stand of unity through reparations. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to now join your, your group. I think it's really cool. And I appreciate you guys very much. I think it's very important. I think it's very important for white people specifically. Um, so yeah, thank you for what you're doing. Thank, Thank you. you, Jen and Peter. Thank you very much for having us. Bernie has Jesse Neville of the African People's Solidarity Party. Guys, make sure you check out handsoffofyourup.org. Get over there. Guys, have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for coming. Right. Thank you. Bye, guys. That was fun. <clears throat> I knew it would be, you know, look, this is the kind of nonsense that I've been watching for the better part of my life. You know, my parents were definitely flower children, hippies. So all of the stuff that went on that they dealt with then and the oppression and the and and police patrolling and and like all of the aggression and anti-protest stuff is something that I'm very, very like sensitive to. And I think it's just really important. So the, this is one of those things like where I harp on like about Julian Assange. This is one of those types of things where going after these people, this group of people is blatantly a violation of our First Amendment. Like it's if they, they could have whatever pretext they want. It doesn't even look like uh, like I don't know. I, I, I agree. I think that this looks like a good case legally from from their perspective. I think it's absurd. But this kind of like McCarthyism witch hunt, because I would also suggest that even if they were affiliated with Russians or a Russian organization or a Russian NGO or right. So. People are allowed to affiliate, especially when we're talking about a global organization. Their movement is not a, this country movement. It's a global movement. So how dare we 
even try to interfere with who they affiliate with if it's a global movement. The, 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 that infuriating. The system itself cannot withstand because they, they have reached the point of censorship because they know that their ideas cannot be sold anymore. It's not going to work. And groups like this are going to continue to face scrutiny because they now are a threat. Like I said, you know, Dr. West is going to be dealing with a lot more hell than people can imagine, much more so than RFK is going to deal with, because he represents an opportunity to get away from that system, which so many people are so desperate to do. And right now, we're being thumbed in the eye every single day by the establishment, particularly the Biden administration. And while people are going to focus, naturally so, on the story of the day, which of course is the fact that there was a bag of cocaine found by the Secret Service in the White House today, that somehow that's really important. It isn't. Uh, um, and, and by the way, I just want to let you know when you touched on that cocaine thing briefly, I have chosen to not give a shit about that. I have chosen to purposefully not follow that storyline because I don't care. There's no That's reason to care. It's completely a waste of time and pointless. This, on the other hand, is a story. Oh. Totally indefensible is written in Common Dreams. Biden nominates Death Squad backer Elliot Abrams to diplomacy panel. Because why do you want to give the the left voters another excuse to I, either vote for RFK, Marianne, or outside the party and vote for Dr. West? I just can't. When I saw this, it was really like I thought it was almost an Onion article. Again, I keep seeing this. I need to really like expand what I what is in the realm of normal. But the idea that Joe Biden thinks that somehow appointing this psychopath to anything is gonna curry any favor with anybody that he needs to curry favor with, he's delusional. The only people that like this are Republicans. And so those aren't even the people that he needs to reach. So this to me is like the biggest screw you. It, it's a level of tone deafness that I don't even think that I've seen this administration hit yet. This this has to be the pinnacle of tone deaf right Ellen here. Abrams, enemy of human rights, apologist for mass murder, should have no place within spitting distance of any Democratic administration in any capacity. So what exactly is the thought process of the president of the United States to support not just a hawk, but the worst oh. kind of hawk? The type of person who, first of all, hides behind his Jewish background to espouse the worst kind of bigotry, especially that was levied directly at Ilhan Omar. Oh, yeah. And, and so while we can, you know, get into the details of this article, and I'll get through it briefly, but we're going to play the clip of Elliot Abrams and Ilhan Omar's exchange on Capitol Hill from a few years ago. Interestingly enough, I, I can distinctly remember listening to this, I think when I was driving up from Florida to New Jersey, because I remember at the time, this was a really, really big deal. And the, there were, again, everyone, if you remember, everyone threw Ilhan Omar under the bus in the Democratic establishment. So it, it is not something that makes any sense. Mehdi Hassan of MSNBC, a totally indefensible decision from Biden. But once again, 
This is a man, Elliot Abrams. He's not just anybody. He was a part of Iran-Contra. He pleaded guilty. He was part of arming terrorists in the Middle East. No, his resume, his resume truly is, this is outrageous. Like, this, I honestly, he, I, other than like, if he brought Gina Haspel back maybe and, and got her back in the CIA, like it might be as outrageous, but this is pretty bad. Let's play it. Ms. Elmar. Thank you, Chairman. Um, thank you all for being here and thank you for your uh, testimonies. Mr. Adams, in 1991, you pleaded guilty to two counts of withholding information from Congress regarding your involvement in the Iran Cortra affair, for which you were later pardoned by President George H.W. Bush. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful. If I can respond to that. Uh, um, it wasn't a question. Uh, I, On February, that was it not, was that was not a question. Would, that was the, I, I reserve the right I'm to my sorry. time. It is not, it is not right. That was not a question. Can attack On February 8th. Who is not permitted to reply. That, that was not a question. Thank you for your participation. On February 8th, 1982, you testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee about U.S. policy in El Salvador. In that hearing, you dismissed as communist propaganda report about the massacre of El Mosote, in which more than 800 civilians, including children as young as two years old, were brutally murdered by U.S. trained troops. During that massacre, some of those troops bragged about raping a 12-year-old girl before they killed them. Girls before they killed them. You later said that the U.S. policy in El Salvador was a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you still think so? From the day that President Duarte was elected in a free election to this day, El Salvador has been a democracy. That's a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement that happened under our watch? That is a ridiculous question. And I yes or no? No. I, I will, sorry, Mr. I will take that as a yes. I am not going to respond to that kind of personal attack which is not a question. Yes or no, would you support an armed faction within Venezuela that engages in war crimes, crimes against humanity or genocide, if you believe they were serving U.S. interests as you did in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Nicaragua? I am not gonna to respond to that question, I'm sorry. I don't think this entire line of questioning is meant to be real questions, and so I will not reply. Whether you, under your watch, a genocide will take place, and you will look the other way, because American interests were being upheld, is a fair question. Because the American people want to know that anytime we engage a country, that we think about 
what our actions could be and how we believe our values are being farthered. That is my question. Will you make sure that human rights are not violated and that we uphold international and human rights? I suppose there is a question in there, and the answer is that the entire thrust of American policy in Venezuela <clears throat> is to support the Venezuelan people's effort to restore democracy to their country. That's our policy. I don't think anybody disputes that. The question I had for you is that the interest, does the interest of the United States include protecting human rights and include protecting people against genocide? That is always the position of the United States. Thank you. I yield back my time. Definitely a, uh, a very provocative uh, conversation, but one that you can see where the guilty tend to react in a very aggressive manner because they know that they're guilty and they know that what he, and he knows what he did. Uh, no question that he is, uh, you know, well, and can we can we talk about when that was when that took place? Because that's when he was being appointed by whom? President Biden. No, that that was a while ago. Oh yeah, that's right. That was President Trump. That's my point. Thank yeah. you. That's the point. What's the point? So of what election? we have is. Are but you, you kidding? Have to vote for Joe, so that we can elect the same people that Trump would elect. Right. So in other words, now you're really swimming in the same pool, because if, if this president is appointing someone like that fascist to this position, there is no point in even having a Democratic Party. Like, there's no point. I, I honestly do not understand the point. Can in, someone tell me the point? In response to news of Biden administration's decision to nominate Abrams to the State Department's Advisory Committee Commission on Public Diplomacy. I mean, it's amazing also in the Democratic Party, especially when we talk about the government overreach and all of these ridiculous jobs that they come up with that, that are, you know, again, they're just these token advisory commission on public diplomacy. But why is there a, why are we appointing a war criminal? to a panel regarding diplomacy. Former longtime Human Rights Watch Executive Director Kenneth Roth wrote that Abrams' most notorious public diplomacy is downplaying the 1981 El Mazani massacre of a thousand people by U.S. trained and equipped Salvadoran military units. Raymond Bonner, a former New York Times correspondent in El Salvador, wrote for The Atlantic in 2019, that the Reagan administration with Abrams as point man routinely defended the Salvadoran government in the face of evidence that its regular army and allied right-wing death squads were operating with impunity, killing peasants, students, union leaders, and anyone considered anti-government or pro-guerrilla. Yeah, I mean, he's as neocon as you could possibly get. I mean, like, this is really absurd. I mean, maybe he should bring back Bolton, maybe get Rumsfeld and Wolfowitz back in there for shits and giggles. Like, this is really bizarre. 
I don't think it's bizarre. I think oh, that I, I think that we really have to recognize that there is a major disconnect with the people who walk amongst the Beltway masses and seem to believe, really in their heart of hearts, that the country will be so afraid of Trump or DeSantis getting into the White House that they can just get away with whatever they want, that they can just do whatever they want. They can act with complete impunity regarding who they nominate, what policies they pass, don't pass, who they are going to support in any election. This up, I mean, my God, I can't even think about how bad the down ballot races are going to be in 24. It's horrible. It's horrible for people down ballot because this 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 is like. Well, think of it this way. If you're not somebody like Adam Schiff, you know what, or hopefully somebody like Barbara Lee or Katie Porter, you know, in a state like California, you don't need Joe Biden to be out there campaigning for you to try to help you get elected. Okay, first of all, there's nowhere that Joe Biden is going to help anyone get elected. Well, that's my point. If you're a candidate who's running for, let's say, the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania or running in Georgia or running in Arizona or running in Wisconsin, a guy like Joe Biden is not helping you. And the more that these things come about, the more it's going to be completely detrimental to the down ballot races. So to ignore that reality would just be... You know, out of sight, out of mind. But at this point, nothing surprises me with this administration. Well, that to me is the Democrat M.O. The Democrat M.O. is to have a really crappy strategy at the top and let that trickle down to the down ballots. That's their strategy. Shit at the top, trickle to the bottom. That's what they do. And then everybody gets shitted on. No pun intended. Well, that's the whole point. But when they make moves like this and bringing people like this into this administration, that is going to make it harder and harder for the vote blue, no matter who people. It really is. It's making their chant quieter and quieter because certain people like Elliot Abrams ought not ever, ever be back involved in, in an administration, let alone a Democratic one. Well said. Um, but unfortunately, I think he's going to get through. Um, that's usually what ends up happening. You know, whether you get through under one administration. Well, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the squad will write a nice sternly worded letter again. <laughs> Please do uh, not. They might, no, they might do that. I'm not saying that that's not something that they're going to do. But I, I think we should all remember just how poorly Ilhan Omar was treated at that time when she came out against Elliot Abrams. And hopefully when people will see this clip that we put out there, they will recognize that she was right all along, and that the idea that we can just sweep this up <laughs> under the rug is very, very silly. But the reason we're here, and Chris, great to see you. Remember to smash Wait, can I just ask you how any of these liberals are justifying in any way the appointment of somebody that was a Trump appointer, appointee? The like, only thing that they have at this point, the only thing that they have, only thing, is to say it's not Trump or DeSantis. They have no defense. They but no- that, they make that even less meaningful when they appoint someone that was appointed by Trump. It's like your argument of not them is made a lot weaker when you appoint someone that they appointed. It really is not helping your own weak argument. That's my point. Yeah, it is unfortunate that it has come to that. But... Let's definitely address an issue that 
is something that I think is probably on a lot of people's minds, especially in a country where we do not have universal health care. And one of the biggest detriments that society faces and the people in society who do suffer quite mightily as a result of us not having things like universal health care are the disabled. And we have a very crooked system that basically, you know, as the as our former congressman from the state of Florida, who should have never taken the leap to try to run for Senate because he'd still be in Congress right now, uh, Alan Grayson used to say, the health care plan of the neocon class is simply this. If you get sick, die quickly because you are not going to be receiving help. That is not the goal. The goal is to turn a profit. And so as a result, a brief introduction, an accomplishment from Northern California, Zyla Marshall, has over four decades of firsthand experience surrounding traumatic brain injury and neurological brain damage. Living alone since he was a teenager, he truly understands and has felt the incredible struggles those with disabilities face. Disabilities look, feel, and sound different for everyone. Some physical, while others are mental or psychological. Individualism is a common trait and part of the reason others would see them as different. However, at least 61 million adults in the U.S. currently live with a disability of some kind. Of the 61 million, 10% can too easily be taken advantage of simply due to their disability. Zylo and so many others from around the world not only believe, but know it is paramount that we help those with disabilities rather than exploit them. Zylo Marshall, welcome to Generational Change. Hello. Hi, how are you today? Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Zylo, and, and thank you very much for being such a strong advocate and your persistence impresses me. I'm in sales, so I always appreciate, uh, you know, putting forth that, you know, that effort. Um, it really means a lot. We run a tight ship, as you can see, but we're very happy to have you. So please share your story for the audience so they have a better understanding of your struggles and the struggles of many of the disabled community that we have in this country. Well, I was the only realtor in the country that listed and sold properties without the use of a car. Okay. I did that with the help of other people. Mm. It just means you have some challenges. I was disinherited from a $50 million estate, my grandfather's estate, on the basis of fraud and corruption. Those with disabilities are likened to those who are elderly. They can be taken advantage of easily because of their vulnerabilities. And I'm vulnerable. You tell me something, I'm going to believe it. The chances of me going out there and going around you and figuring out is this true or not true, who do I go to? Who do I ask? Where do I find the answer? They just told me something that I'm supposed to believe. So being disabled gives many people the opportunity to take advantage of them because we're not good enough. We're less. We're inferior. We can't. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there with disabilities that can't. They can't do a lot of things. They can't walk. They can't talk. They can't. There's a lot of things they can't do. But it doesn't mean all people have a disability. And uh, my aunt doesn't hear me from my grandfather's estate of uh, $50 million, fraud, corruption. She paid taxes on the false partnership. She didn't pay taxes on $50 million. Okay, wire fraud, all these different things. And I had an, a, a special needs trust, special needs trust. Now, those with disabilities, you have, if you receive SSI, I receive SSI. 
In other words, you guys are paying for me to just do nothing. And that is not life. Okay. And I wanted to go out there and be and, be, and become somebody. And my trustees took advantage of me telling me, you don't, you don't deserve this money. My grandfather was a very wealthy man. And my aunt, my 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 grandfather's daughter, thought this guy can't do anything because with this disability, your brain may think, act, or do things differently just because you think and act differently. Okay. For example, I went up to a girl one time when I'm a kid. You smell. Well, I really meant you smell good. Big difference there. Okay. But kids or adults can act in a certain way because they may not understand how to or how not to do something because their mind, their body, their brain thinks differently. So that's the challenge I face. Uh, I was a realtor. I did work at Keller Williams for a short time. I did create a, a, a business, a code violation properties. Okay. And uh, I was trying to get off SSI and be like you. Uh, I think the 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 government or or you know the um, Congress or whatnot should help give disabled people rights to do certain things because if you if I make money and work, I will lose my SSI, which means I can just sit around and do nothing and look at the wall, okay? Or I can go to work. I have epilepsy. I can have a seizure. Go to the ER lose my SSI, and I'm on the streets. You know, as an adult, you have responsibilities and the world doesn't care. But the government should give you a chance to try to go out there and make it. And if you can't make it, they shouldn't cut you off. They should give you a chance to try. So that's, an excellent, that's an excellent point. And because of the way that the country is structured today, it basically, it has become the survival of the fittest. And if you have any handicap whatsoever, you are basically persona non grata and society treats you as such, which is very unfortunate. And that's why we advocate for the, the you know people to have a dignified life. That is a very important aspect of what we work for here when it comes to building and ensuring that we have politics through, or we transform politics into service. That is what we do. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, Zylo, what would be something that you would want to see going forward? Again, we advocate for universal health care, but is there anything that you particular would like to see going forward? Um, giving, if you have the stable people that want to go out there and make it, okay, and you ask them to help you get off their system, you know, um, they don't, again, I have nobody to turn to. So if I'm in a bad situation, okay, or I'm in a divorce or whatever, I'm on the streets, okay? And there are people out there that want to go out there and make it and not just live on the system. I want to do without a car. That shows determination to just do more than just do nothing and watch the joke is watching Jerry Springer, okay? Who wants to go home and watch that? That's just drama, watching drama, watching drama. So the objective is to um, create policies that would make it better for disabled people saying, hey, listen, we're going to put you in a system to do something. If you fail, you're not going to lose your SSI. You're not going to lose your medical benefits because you tried and you failed. 
or the government will have you sit there and say, okay, hey, we'll take care of you. Just sit back and write off life. Sit around and do nothing. You know, we're paying you. You know, this is a really good opportunity for us to bring up our federal jobs guarantee discussion because that's one of those things that I think um, needs to be applied across the board. And I always think when it comes to things like disability and, and vulnerable communities that it's not so much about equality as it is about equity, right? Like everybody needs something different in order for them to live their best life. So it, it doesn't make sense to give everybody the same thing. It makes sense to treat people like individuals and see what are your needs that will make your life be most functioning and how can we help you with that? Right. Um, and I think that when you're in a disabled community and especially because there's so many types of disabilities, right? So you already have a small community of disabled people and then an even smaller one that whatever particular disabilities, which is just like, so therefore people shouldn't have to accommodate it. And I just, I, I don't like that. I think that, again, I say it over and over again, any way or anything that we could do to make people's lives better, that that's something that we should all strive to do. Like, it's no skin off my back if I am help support something that will make your life easier. How right. does that, why would I not like that? You know, so I, I'm, I'm appreciative that you're talking about this and it's not the first time I've heard where essentially disabled people are essentially, there's an incentive for you to just sit home and not come out into the world. Um, right. And that's right. And it's incentivized for that to be the case, which is absurd because people are qualified to do all different types of work. Um, hence where I believe we should have a federal jobs guarantee. And that would be a really great place for people who could get equity in employment to be able to be have a job. Right. Um, with me, like I've been doing for a long time in 2010 or prior to 2010, I was selling property without a car, trying to, I was this close to getting off SSI. In other words, there's this, you either work nine to five, no matter what, or you create a business and make that work and you can do what you want. Okay. And I wanted to work on creating a business code violation from property, which is affects all of us. Property that are in bad shape, need work. I've been sitting there vacant, boarded for years, and need help. My objective was to get into a business that makes that work successfully for everybody. Okay. And when you take advantage of that opportunity, can be stripped from you, just like, you know, you're disabled. So therefore, we can take it away from you, whatever you want. Because you're disabled, you're not good. You're not good enough. And it goes back to the same thing. You guys have no choice but to work. No choice. I can do whatever I want. And that's so, for me, be meaning. Because I can get up and watch TV and then go go take a nap. And, and, and that's so demeaning because for me, I have a medical condition. I have seizures. I take medication. It makes me drowsy. If I'm out there moving around, doing things, speaking to people, going to events, speaking to the world, okay, then my body will get used to that and my drowsiness won't be as much as drowsy because I'm out there working in the world with my disability um, following me no matter what because that's what I have, a disability. Silo, we really appreciate you coming on the show this evening. And I think this is a lesson for a lot of people to realize that it is not easy to make it in this world when you are an able-bodied individual. 
try having a disability on top of how difficult it is to already make it. Mm-hmm. So you are a testament to continuing to fight the good fight. And that is why we do what we do here. Uh, Zyla, if anybody wants to follow your work or anything that you're doing, do you have a website or, or a social media handle that people can follow? They can call. They can follow me at uh, com. They can find me on Facebook, on YouTube, okay? And I'd like to speak at your events or regarding this issue because I got no fear of speaking in front of a million people or two people. And that's my objective to uh, help make it easier for those disabilities and change laws that disabled people should have help in the same condition as those that are, you know, um, in other programs. So I guess that'll be it for now. Well, we thank you very much for coming on Zylo. Keep fighting the good fight. Guys, go to silomarshall.com to learn more about how you can get involved with helping with disability rights. Again, this is why we fight the fight that we do. Thank Thank you, you, Zylo. Thank you very much. You have a nice day now. You do the same. Bye-bye. Yeah, and this is just, again, another example of how the system Oh, this is what I wanted to tell you. So my phone completely overheated just from sitting here and working as a camera. So it's so hot that it just, that's when it started freezing. So I had to turn my phone off because it's like burning. Okay, well, we don't want your phone to explode. That would not be a good <laughs> You like our content and appreciate the work that we're putting out. Please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. I'm a patron of our wonderful channel. You get the Lulu sticker as an intro which is really great. But of course, for those who are considerably- I'm mad at her right now. $10 a month will get you the last Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. But if you're feeling extra generous, as you can see Jen is wearing and I am holding, one of our generational change jerseys will go to the $25 a month patrons. But if you are just a $25 donor, you can request one of these bad boys as well. Did you hear what I said about Lou? Yeah, I'm kind of marketing our show right now, but yes. But do you understand? Can I tell you what she did? Uh, She must have done something pretty bad. Did she bite something? This dog, in her 13-year-old, 100-year-old, whatever self she thinks, decided to run, mind you, down the stairs of the porch, yelping at the bottom in order to chase off the deer that was so far away, it was the most ridiculous thing. And I'm running after her in flip-flops. I was so irritated. She's in no position to be running like that. I feel like I'm dealing with Sophia from the Golden Girls. So, oh, okay, yeah, okay. All right, I had to think about that for a minute. The Golden Girls were, was a very funny show, by the way. Yes, well, she and I are like Dorothy and Sophia. And I sit there and I look at her and I'm like, I know you're older, but I'm the mom. And it's like, but I feel like she's just been very, very like ornery lately and really pushing my buttons. I'm just saying, Lou. Uh, is she available for a quick appearance? I don't know, man. She's lying on the bed back there. I'm going to see if you could see her if I move out of the way here. This is what I can do. This. <laughs> No, it won't let me change my, I was going to get rid of the blurry thing so you could see her. If you are not so inclined to donate uh, or become a patron, then what you can do is you can go to Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change. Any contribution there will certainly be appreciated. And so, 
Oh, there's Luke. There's the little munchkin. Well, she still looks cute. She's a little, oh, Lou. Oh, she doesn't want to show her face right now for some reason. Hi, Lou. Yeah, so if you guys are so inclined, please go to, oh, there she is. Hi, Lou. <laughs> yes, you do recognize me, sort of. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't really want to be bothered. I think you brought her up from her beauty sleep or something. So that's why she's not too engaged at the moment. All right, what do we have coming up tomorrow on the Gen Z report? We're going to be talking environment. Ooh, very important. Uh, do we have a good amount of guests for that tomorrow? No idea. Kind of just shooting from the hip at this point. You know what? I kind of am liking it that way. I'm liking these young kids coming on over from Discord and having these discussions. I think it's really nice to have these impromptu discussions because essentially what I want the Gen Z report to be is them discussing these issues and how it affects them. I don't need talking heads to give news reports and be experts on things. That's not the point of that show. So I like it to be impromptu conversation. Um, it doesn't, everyone doesn't need to show up prepared and guys, we still need help. So if anybody knows anybody who wants to participate in the Gen Z report or act as a producer for the Gen Z report, shoot us an email. Well, that would be good. And yes, Lou is adorable. So last thing before we go. What's uh, coming up? Uh, next week, we will have uh, our good friend and funny man, Ron Placone. He will be coming back on the show. It's an important uh, topic to talk about. Uh, may also have a blast from the not-so-distant past, India Walton, uh, hoping to have her come back on the show. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of good people. Uh, we are lining up for our podcast. So you guys will enjoy it. Uh, but now we know we're in uh, direct competition with due dissonance. On yeah, Wednesday. we're going to need to, we're going to, I think we need to follow them like after their show almost, but they could be our lead in, but like. The um, problem is that they go live at eight o'clock and they'll go live for at least two hours. I know. So I does that mean go we're going to go on later? No, I don't. And um, we're still working on getting um, Dr. West to come on and chat with us. Yes, well, we have to keep pushing on that one. So uh, one of the, it's not really much of a story, but it's just something that I, I wanted to cover. Uh, for some really ridiculous reason, I don't know what it is or why anyone does this, but uh, Hollywood, as you know, has run out of ideas. And so Indiana Jones is back for the fifth time. And this time, the movie has, for all intents and purposes, completely flopped. Uh, flopping to the tune of what will probably end up losing the studio and the investors hundreds of millions of dollars on a film that I think from a distance, most people could have looked at and said, yeah, this is not going to work. So you're uh, saying that a whole bunch of rich people are losing money? Yes, I know. Okay, so, so here's, here's my response. That's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. But of course, there's always these overarching political elements that find their way into these movies. And that is this sort of like anti uh, male hero, uh, you know, cut him off at the knees and rewrite history. Uh, I don't know what it is uh, that people find so offensive about Indiana Jones, but there is this concept, Jen, in 
the what you would call the local left of Hollywood liberalism uh, called strong female character. I assume you've heard of that concept. What you mean? I'm not exactly sure in what regard. I mean, we're talking about Indiana Jones. This is an existing character that's been around for like my life. So I don't understand why anybody would have a problem with an already existing character. Now, the fact that the movie is crap, that could be obvious to me. I mean, I wasn't going to go see it, but I don't well, see why we would. So what basically what you're saying is there's a bunch of overwoke people turning this into some sort of misogynist thing. No, the movie was overwoke. They basically took Indiana Jones emasculated him, had a much younger female character in the movie to basically make it seem like she had all the answers. She was the one who should have been cracking the whip and he was just a withering old man standing Right, so this was, this was Hollywood's overwoke identity, pol- you know, identity politics little experiment. Well, it's not a little experiment because this has been going on for a number of years now. We saw this happen. Look, I'm not going to see the Indiana Jones film. I won't see it. I've already read and listened to enough reviews of the film. I already know exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to go down, the absurdity of it all. It didn't make any sense to begin with. If you've seen The Kingdom of the Crystal The last one was horrible. I, I, I could not believe how bad Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was. I didn't think it was right to make another movie after The Last Crusade. It didn't make any sense. It ended on a perfect note. And the ending of The Last Crusade with them riding off into the sunset was perfect. That was the exact way it was supposed to end. But for whatever reason, they decided, no, let's just keep going. Let's let's just keep trying. Well, no, you, you, for whatever reason, you know the reason. Sable, you are a very wise lady, I must say, because I had I made the unfortunate mistake. And the only one that I actually did see in the movie theater was without question. I mean, look, I don't know how bad the rise of Skywalker, the last one was, but I can tell you that I saw the last Jedi in the movie theater. I in my life have never actually walked out of a movie, but I was this close to walking out of The Last Jedi. It was so bad. It was so overwoke. It was I think you're, it's not as bad as you're making it out to be. No, it was bad. Like, you know something, you got, you need to, you need to like really like check yourself every once in a while. I know you think I'm like this, like secret, like conservative and, you know, I hate all these you know, I don't think that. I just don't think people. that movie was that bad. It was cheesy as all get out, but okay. but it was still fun for when me. So through, I just when, I don't know. When she flew through space like Mary Poppins, yes, it was totally stupid and cheesy. But this, you you know, it's, like it's hard for me to take you seriously with the out. shit that you watch. Are you what? Yes, and you Chris, watch ridiculous nonsense like and, South Park and whatever Chris, other. I agree with stuff. you hundred percent. Rogue One was a very well done film, very well done, and that was the exception to the rule, which didn't really get a lot of fanfare. The amazing part about Rogue One was that the ending scene with Vader was not supposed to happen. That was something that they added in at the last minute, and it made the film what was a very good film into a great film. But to go from Rogue One to Last Jedi. To make a film so putrid on every level, and in the same vein, just trying to recycle the original trilogy. Well, it's sort of like the same thing <laughs> you've seen here with Indiana Jones, what you've seen with Star Wars, what you've seen with The Flash, what you've seen with Marvel, Spider Man, 
Superman. They're out of ideas. Yes, they're out of ideas, but they want to still keep making money for old ideas. Correct. So come up with new ideas. Well, there are new ideas. They just don't get the same kind of funding for blockbusters as all of those friggin', you know, sequels and and trilogies and all that crap. You know, those things get all the money. The question here, of course, is will this mark the end of the flopbuster as the saying goes? And in accordance with the details, the film made $130 million at the global box office on its opening weekend. It is considered underwhelming, and that's putting it nicely. And why? Because this wasn't just any weekend. This was a four-day, 4th of July weekend, where you would think that they would have no problem cleaning up when you consider how much money was invested in this project. Three, yeah. $300 million was spent on this movie before marketing. So you can add in probably another $100 million that it's going to cost to you know, put this on national TV ads, international TV ads. That's what they're going to do. And as is stated by Nicholas Barber of Culture, and again, this is not a right-leaning <laughs> publication. This is a left-leaning progressive, you know, uh, writing organization. So the sad fact is that The Dial of Destiny didn't deserve to do better. The film is a dour, dreary, and largely pointless rehash of Indy's other escapades. And that is what it is. Superhero fatigue. That is another way of looking at this. But the way I look at it, there was really no reason to do this. The fact that he's 80 years old made it even worse. And so we see today so much of why, you know, there are people who have grown tired of this, of this stuff because it doesn't serve any purpose. It only alienates more people than it welcomes. It's why certain social issues, culture issues, ultimately push people away from the greater causes that we're fighting for. So we really have to think about what is of, 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 the, of considerable importance. And when I see films like Indiana Jones being made again, and the fact that it wasn't just about making an indie movie, it was about making an overwoke movie, it's just sad. But you know what? The good news is it doesn't get my money. That's the bottom line. So any closing thoughts? No, I couldn't care less about any of that. I don't I don't care about the movies. I don't go to movies anymore ever since COVID. I watch everything that I want to see here. And the idea of giving more rich people in Hollywood money for not coming up with a new idea is just absurd. And I um we've already paid way more attention to this than it's worth. Gee, thanks a lot. You're so it's amazing when I want to cover something it's so bad. Well, I just don't want to be movie review person. Like I don't want to cover movie reviews. That's not what I, I want to do. I want to really talk issues and then move on. Are you gonna keep doing that? I'm just stating that this didn't have to be this way. It, it, it's it's a it's and it's and it's a let's be honest, it's a one-woman vanity project. Kathleen Kennedy, who has been, you know, the she's the futurist female. Uh, you know, has been doing that nonsense 
hopefully it's over. Hopefully this movie bombs so badly and costs people so much money at the top that not only is Kathleen Kennedy fired from Disney, but that they finally get back to actually caring about what making films and shows is all about. Quality content. Just my two thoughts. Smash that like button, share, subscribe, do all those wonderful things. Make sure that you tune in tomorrow night for the Gen Z Report at 9 o'clock. They are going to be talking about the environment. Very important issue. We are going to have to figure out a game plan to deal with crossing in to do this and it's his crowd because it certainly affected ours. Think of some ideas. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.